Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Now, if you are new to the Radio Islam family, we uh, welcome you and let you know that you can keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And you can also keep up with us by subscribing to the podcast so you never miss out on another uh, discussion, interview, uh, by getting at us wherever you get your podcasts. iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or Google Play. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. Now, today, um, as most days, right, it's like 99% of the time, 99.9% of the time, I am joined um, by the impressive one. Assistant producer Ibrahim Baig. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Good to be with you again. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So um, we're a, qu- a couple of months out from uh, midterm elections, and there's a lot of conversation that is going to impact the way people are going to um, approach the polls. And I think the conversation that we're about to get into is is one of those. Um Many of you who who frequent uh, Fox News are familiar with who Tucker Carlson is. And if you don't frequent Fox News, if that's not your place for getting your uh, getting your happenings, uh, he is a uh, commentator. Uh, He was actually with MSNBC uh, at one point in his career. But anyway, he's with Fox and he made some comments regarding diversity that uh, have been lashed in, lashed on to, and have been talked about. And you want to add something to it because there's a, there was a, there was a response. It was a panel. You said it was on, it was on uh, CNN. Yeah, this is kind of. There's two parts to my uh, criticism or my response, or whatever. Mm-hmm. One part is to Dr. Carlson himself. Yeah. And the next part is to what I feel is a very inadequate response from the panelists on CNN, mm-hmm. which really kind of symbolizes to me the um, laziness or intellectual laziness and just the um, dogmatism that uh, many times we see coming out of the democratic side of the spectrum when it mm. comes to Tucker Carlson posed a thought right is it right or wrong okay let's see but the response was very disappointing mm. so I want to play this clip it's about a five minute clip it contains the original statement of Tucker Carlson and then some panelists on CNN respond to it. Okay, let's get it. Outrage spreading over Fox News host Tucker Carlson's recent anti-diversity rant. Let's discuss now CNN political commentators Sarah Setmeyer, Bakari Sellers, Alice Stewart. They're all here. Gang's all here. Good evening. So uh, let's play Tucker's rant and then we can discuss. How precisely is diversity our strength? Can you think, for example, of other institutions such as, I don't know, marriage or military units in which the less people have in common, the more cohesive they are. Do you get along better with your neighbors or your coworkers if you can't understand each other or share no common values? So, criticism was swift and scathing on social media, Twitter, calling Tucker racist, Bakari. What's, what's your response? Uh, it's pretty simple. Uh, there was a, a time in this country where uh, individuals used to use bullhorns um, and water hoses, but now 
those, those same individuals, they now uh, wear Brooks Brothers suits and get late night cable TV shows. So uh, I think that this is a vein of white nationalism. I think that Tucker Carson, I, I, I don't know him personally, so I, I don't want to call him racist, but he's trafficking in the political currency, that the, the same political currency that the president uses, which is racism, because what he just said was probably the most asinine, ignorant thing <laughs> that I think anybody actually gets paid to actually say. He's standing by a segment uh, defending it on Twitter, Alice. Tucker Carlson's a smart man. He has worked really hard to get where he is and have his own show on Fox News. But for him to sit there with a straight face and, and say that diversity is not a strength is, is beyond comprehension. That's what makes this country great. That's what makes uh, America unique to other countries and, and bringing in uh, different uh, genders and races and ethnicities and minds and thoughts and religions. That's what makes America great. And, and I think to, to, to say that diversity makes us not strong, I, I think is completely wrong. And unfortunately, Donald Trump sits there and watches that every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that's where he gets a lot of his ideas mm -hmm. that he spreads out that not only uh, divides this country, but in the president's mind, it unites and ignites his base. And so that's mm -hmm. why he uses uh, Fox News quite often for his tweets and his talking points. Mm -hmm. So Tara, generations of immigrants, you know, have come to this country with different backgrounds and cultures, embraced America's core values, built the country. Is Tucker's argument ignoring where almost all Americans come from somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, my great-grandparents came through Ellis Island from Italy and Germany. My, on my father's side, they escaped, uh, you know, tanks in a revolution in Guatemala. I mean, you know, it's, it's really... It, it, to borrow Bakari's word and also one of my grandmother's favorite words, it is asinine to make that argument that diversity isn't good for America. What the, what, I think what, they're try, what he's trying to say and what the conservative movement for a long time has argued about was the idea of foisting multiculturalism in schools and multiculturalism uh, agendas where, you know, in, in certain school districts to kind of take away from what um, Americanism is and, and, and assimilation. And that's always been something that the conservative movement has been concerned about because they say, well, we're focusing on that instead of on what unites us as Americans. That has now been co-opted, though, into this very ugly racial um, xenophobic attitude that I don't know where this came from to this level. It was not okay before Donald Trump to be this overt about it. And Tucker Carlson is a smart guy. I don't know who this Tucker is because that's not the same Tucker Carlson that was on Crossfire and making those arguments. Now all of a sudden he's turning into this nationalist because that seems to be what Fox News wants well, to do in their, in their lineup just at night. Your own and question. Yeah. yeah <laughs> well, yeah, I did. You solved it. Come on. It is I what did. it is. And it's a shame. It's yeah. a shame because you're just, yeah. fo you're just fomenting more racial division in this country, yeah. which is the last thing that we need, given what Donald Trump is, has, has done. Bakari, uh, he is trying to blame the blowback he's receiving for this on the organized left trying to silence dissent. Um, <laughs> is that just a deflection? Yeah, it's a deflection. It's no organized left. It's Americans who are tired of stupidity. It's, it's the ATS, as we call ourselves, I guess. I just made that up. But uh, we're just sick and tired of stupidity. We're sick and, ti we're sick and tired of nationalism. And, the, and my concern is not Donald Trump. I, I know that many on the right are concerned so, about Donald Trump getting, uh, getting satisfied from Fox News. You've had a chance to listen to. Uh, there, there's a common thread that is being pushed there. But before I say anything, you made a statement. You said that, you said that their, their response was lazy and dogmatic. Go ahead and... Uh, I feel like they just keep repeating the same thing. They, Tucker Carlson makes an argument. 
Is mm-hmm. it right or wrong? Okay, let's see if it's right or wrong. They basically just say, no, he's wrong, no, he's wrong, again and again, and then they start saying that it's asinine, yeah. and they just start repeating the opposite of what he said, and they don't really explain why. Why is what he said wrong, and why is what they are saying correct? Right. It's just kind of this miniature like spin cycle, and it's um, pretty disappointing. <laughs> you know, um, as I'm listening to it, I'm, I'm hearing things, the, the words that stuck out to me, our values, right? Mm-hmm. Core values. Yeah. Uh, and whenever we talk about uh, values, and we're putting that in a conversation where immigration is a part of it or diversity is a part of it, my question is: Well, how does diversity challenge those values? Mm-hmm. And then, what are those va- what are those values that what you're talking are those about? Values? Right. Yes. So, and I'll say this: that maybe that may have been a conversation that should have been that could have been more in depth and maybe they just didn't have the time to really do it or the but it's funny right because it's three people talking it sounds like three people was it, sounds it three? Like yes three people yeah and but three everybody panelists. did basically kind of parrot one another and say the same thing yeah that's the question that i want to ask and even when um when tucker carlson uh talks he doesn't articulate what those values are in particular right, right. Right, so I think we have a chance to kind of go into some of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, firstly, I would like to start off by um, addressing Tucker Carlson. Well, we kind of addressed what the panelists on CNN were saying. Yeah. And that it's basically kind of a repetitive thing. They're just saying, "No, he's wrong. He's wrong. He's wrong." Mm-hmm. Um, and he can't be right. How could he possibly be right? Um, but addressing now. Tucker Carlson's statement directly Mm. I think we really can think of examples pretty easily where diversity is an asset right for example a team a a sports team football team Mm -hmm. right do you want everyone to play the same position or do you want people to play different positions do you want 10 quarterbacks on the team or do you want a quarterback and a running back and et cetera, et cetera? Right. And it just doesn't make sense to say everyone is going to play the same position. Yeah. Likewise, sticking to the team example, do you want everyone to have the same physique on your team? Mm-hmm. Do you want people to be exactly the same height, exactly the same weight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or do you want people to have a different physique? Do you want the linebacker to have the same physique as the quarterback? Right, sticking to football because yeah. <laughs> we were talking about football last week too, yeah. with uh, Kaepernick. Yeah, um, a company, right? Say I'm running a company, a business. Mm-hmm. Do I want everyone to be identical? Do Absolutely I, not. Do I, <laughs> or right. is it an asset for me to have different people mm-hmm. who have different backgrounds, different genders, different cultural, ethnic, racial backgrounds, mm-hmm. and bringing different experiences? Or do I want, even addressing what he said about, um, you know, like as far as what do we believe in and stuff like that, wouldn't you want people with different ideas? Right. I mean, you go to a meeting, you go to a brainstorming session. Do you want everyone to say exactly the same thing? Yeah. Or do you want everyone bringing different kind of fresh ideas, even opposing each other at some points, getting into disagreements? Is that bad or is that good for the company? Right. Absolutely. You know, and I like that. And I want to also go back to his comments uh, because one of the things that he brought up what brought up, brought up was language. Mm-hmm. Right? He says, "If um, he says, I think it may not have it may not have been in this clip, 
But there is a, another clip where he's talking about the same, the same thing about diversity. And he says, are you friends? Does your best friend, do you guys speak the same language? Hmm. Right. And <laughs> which is, which is very, it's, it's really shallow. Right. Yeah. Um, first of all, when it comes to language, this is probably one of the only places in the world where you can go. And we are a, by far, uh, a monolingual um, population. Yeah, as and compared to Europe or yeah, even Asia. Africa. Yeah, yeah, Asia. Oh, yeah, Africa. Yeah, I definitely. mean, yeah, I mean, you go to Africa. You know, these cats like speak two, five, two, six yeah. languages yeah. easily. Um, and I think Europe, you know, for the most part, mirrors that. So this harping on language, which has become a real issue, especially in our our school systems, where there is a uh, there's I, I don't even, I don't even want to say a reluctance. There is a a resistance um, to Spanish in particular because that's what we're talking about. That's mm-hmm. kind of the, the backdrop of all of this is yeah. immigrants, them coming across the, the border. Um, so language comes up again. And I felt like that was a real, that was kind of a dog whistle um, moment yeah, there's, right there. Yeah, I absolutely agree. There's a push to make uh, English kind of the official language of the entire country at the expense of all other languages. Well, see, listen, okay, not just, not just the matter. That's for me. Tell them, uh, I'll get them <laughs> later. Uh, <laughs> but it's not just about uh, it being the official language. It is about it being having the the top spot in terms of framing what is going to be the the order, the pecking order. Yeah. Right. And in doing that. Uh, and in, do- in doing that, in-, in establishing this order, which has been established, right, whether we-, we talk about it, you know, it's not something that we really look at um, often, unless you're one of those, those people who does not speak English as a first language, and then there's pushback. Mm-hmm. So the challenge to that, that is something that he speaks to those people who see uh, the, 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 uh, a-, a surge in a demand for languages other than English. But if you look at Chicago, we got over a thousand languages spoke spoken in Chicago public school systems, hmm. um, and that's not something you know. So that's that's the pushback, right? Without really coming out and saying we don't want anybody uh, here speaking any language other than English. The irony in that, you know, is that right? That's an example right in front of our face where diversity really is an asset. Because yeah. studies have shown, and I mean, even common sense will tell you that being bilingual or multilingual is such a huge advantage on a student's mind, their way of their uh, cognitive process and everything. Mm-hmm. It's just a, such a huge asset. Yeah. Um, remaining monolingual, if English is enforced as the only language that people speak or the only language that is taught in school, etc., that is a big disadvantage, actually. Yeah, and I'll go back to your point. I think you, you made it very well just in terms of showing the value of diversity, uh, particularly when you have a, a goal that you are working towards together. Everybody can't do the same thing. Yeah, there's more, too. <laughs> but in terms of uh, just our, our, our country and the fact that we have a consumer-based economy, mm-hmm. you would, it would make sense with a pluralistic um, society, with a, a multi-ethnic society, that you would want to have representation from all of those all those parts that are able to give you insight into what um, insights into uh, being able to be a part of presenting 
the next wave um, of, of whatever, whatever products and services are, right? Because there's a different pitch for everybody, mm-hmm. right? We all, we all see things, you know, in, in different ways. So why have just one, one group to try to, uh, to, to, to appeal to the sentiments of, of a diverse group, right? Have somebody, get somebody from uh, every portion of the, uh, you know, of the population, Right to me, that makes sense, especially considering uh, where we are. Yeah, that's really what I was going to get at in the next uh, part of what I was saying to extend that logic that we used earlier to the country itself. Yeah, which is the stage which uh, the level at which Tucker is trying to speak at. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't it a good thing, right, to have people with different? Isn't that the whole point of a democratic type of government? Yeah. The very core of it is to have. There's going to be people who disagree. There's going to be people saying the opposite thing. Mm. There's going to be people who uh, dispute with each other and bring different, vastly different ideas. And then we're going to have to figure out through all of it, sort it out, and come up with a decision. Um, why is it? Why is he implying that he's against that? Why is he implying that he's against you know people disagreeing with each other, um, differing from each other and their values, etc. When isn't that basically the whole point and then i would extend that even further and say that maybe what we're seeing from him is a result of this echo chamber that we've talked about Mm -hmm. being taken to an insane uh new level right where they're actually advocating that everyone should agree with each other everyone should believe in the same thing the same values uh hold the same political opinions and so on there's another Um, word for that hmm Sorry, that first. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. Once again, is, is why did the founders of this country guarantee freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of expression, all of these things, if they were under the assumption that everyone was going to basically be the same? And and then to to uh, to go a little bit further with that, there can be no check on abusive power. If there is, if free speech is not guaranteed, mm-hmm. right? So that's the first thing. Right. And but the I mean, second, what's the point of free speech if everyone's just going to agree with each yeah, other? Yeah, uh, yeah. You're talking about a, a country of automatons, you know, mm-hmm. at that point. But this also goes back to American values. I, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned the founding fathers, right? Because when we talk about America, it's founding. We talk about a population that we romanticized to say that they came here looking for a better life. Mm-hmm. And, and we always talk about freedom of religion, yeah. right? That's a big thing. And that really only applies to a small segment of the folks who came here. Um, you know, we're talking about the, the Puritans, right, the Calvinists, you know, these, these folks that came. They were, that was more of a concern. Everybody else, it was really looking for, um, looking for, for some material uh, uh, success. And a lot of folks came here under not really under the conditions that we're used to thinking about it was applied it seemed like in the early days of the country it was applied mostly to um different sects of christianity itself yeah, yeah. rather than something else because you know the enslaved population mm-hmm. they didn't get to keep their uh animistic religions nor even islam yeah but let's see and the thing here is um there is this idea that people come here and succeed because of their own because of their work, right? Mm-hmm. Their work ethic. If you got a strong work ethic, you can come here. If you're willing to sacrifice and the whole thing, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, 
you can make something out of yourself. Right. This the right? misconception, the false belief is that there's this formula, and if you yeah. work hard and you don't succeed, then it's your fault. Right. Right. And we don't even talk about the 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 socialism that was actually taking place during that time. You know, the massive land grants and uh, and programs that that help people, uh, these immigrants come over and you know and make and and, and be prosperous. So I, I mentioned that to say that um, the American value, the values that Tucker Carlson is talking about, he's talking about prosperity mm-hmm. and opportunity in the in the very uh, in a very traditional sense as to what it as as to what that what that meant during the time of the founding fathers, and that was for those of European descent. That was for those who were. Uh, that was for the landowner or for those who were able to take advantage of whatever gift was being given. Uh, but it did not include the uh, African, did not include the, the enslaved, did not include the Native um, American. Uh, it did not include a whole slew of um, folks that would come over here. And particularly, I'll say, the Irish who are part of that group for a while. So that's really, I mean, and, and of course now, that that's not even a consideration. You know, they, they have full... Full, the full benefits of whiteness, you know, at this point. Um, but that's who he's talking to now when he talks about American values. He's saying that the values that we are supporting uh, or that we have enjoyed, they're incapable. And they really, they're not, they're not worthy of, of what America represents. Mm-hmm. And if they come in, that means it's going to be less for you. So I, I, that's, that's the whole dog whistle thing uh, that I'm looking at. Yeah, two of the fallacies that I found um, is worthy of, you know, a lot of deep thinking and contemplation. Yeah. One is, in his statement particularly, one fallacy is that he seems like he assumes that racial or religious or ethnic diversity mm-hmm. automatically means that we're never going to be able to agree on anything. Mm. Uh, that we're never going to be able to get along and that we're never going to be able to get anything done. Right. And just what's the proof of that? that There's no proof sense. of that. Yeah. There's and kind of two different things. It's funny almost. how I think we have some people who really work to polarize um, and unnecessarily, right? I mean, we, we can see the differences that we have, you know, with our eyes. We can see those differences. And we know we have, there are cultural differences that exists within, you know, the different uh, ethnicities. Mm-hmm. But as as Americans, the things that we all hold dear, the fact that we do have the freedom of speech, we have the we have this belief that our our vote our vote and our voice counts. Uh, we have a belief that as 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 misguided as it may be, you know, but there is a belief that if you work, I shouldn't say misguided. That's not the right word. But there is a belief that if you work hard, that you can achieve. And we have plenty of, uh, plenty of people that, can, that are testimonies, uh, their own stories are testimonies to that fact. Mm-hmm. And that has nothing to do with eth- ethnicity or religion, right? And I think these are the important things that, um, these are things that people come here for because they do see it as a place where they can have opportunity. Aside from our imperfections, but at least we can talk about our imperfections. And I think Tucker Carlson, he he just really, he and and those like him, I think they just missed the mark, and they overplay these these differences that really, 
they don't really mean that much. Yeah. The second um, fallacy that I would mention, mm-hmm. which is controversial, this is where I diverge a little bit and go on my own. Okay. Is that this, <laughs> um, the notion of one universal American system of values, one package, right, that everyone believes this, or all Americans are supposed to mm-hmm. believe this. These You see people on the left saying this, and you see people on the right saying this, and they're yeah. completely different in many yeah. ways, right? Um, this I challenge any of them to disagree with anything I mentioned, though. <laughs> <laughs> this ahead. notion of this package yeah. or this uh, yardstick yeah. of American values that everyone can be measured up to, mm-hmm. this is um, in and of itself something that's just fictitious, in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, because everyone believes something different. And making it... Now, what, what I will say is that conservatives seem to be working behind the scenes in order to... Uh, make the materialize this into like a test, right? Mm-hmm. Like a moral or some type of ideological test that people, everyone can be measured up to. That is the um, most ridiculous thing and the most dangerous thing because then that's when you can start excluding people and say, you're not a real American, you're not a real American, see, we've got the proof, you, you didn't line up to our test or whatever. Right. Um, this is the most fictitious and most dangerous thing out of all of this, in my opinion, that there's one body of beliefs or one body of values that every single American has to have in common. Otherwise, you're not the truest level of American. Well, let me ask you this. I'll, I'll, I'll push back on that and say, do you think there may not be a long list? I think the longer the list, the more apt you are to have disagreement on it. Mm-hmm. But a short list of things as, as far as freedom, freedom of of religion. I would say across the board. Right. I, w- I would say almost I want to say that not it's not a long or a short list to me. Mm-hmm. It's rather a um, fa- like a, a, a um, what's it called? A rigid line versus a blurry line. Mm-hmm. Right. There's something there's a loose connection that we all have but it's not something that's very rigid and very that can be defined in a very precise way because i mean we like freedom okay yeah i'll say yeah definitely we all believe in freedom of religion yeah and see that's that's what i understand the idea about the the blurry line right because because we are all we're all different we have Mm -hmm. different sensitivities and you know that's fine but I'm actually of the opinion that there are some things that you have to, that you, you, you kind of sign on, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and it's a short list for me. It's a short list. Cause like I said, the longer it gets, the more contention is going to be present. Mm-hmm. But I think the more important question is what is the importance of that list? Yeah. What is, what kind of access does that list g- give you? And are we willing to, um, add on like what what does it really mean to say i'm an american even if i have a short list of yeah four or five points mm-hmm. and someone says no i reject this one does that mean that person's not true as american as i am absolutely not okay <laughs> no but but i'm saying if we both agree on three mm-hmm. right four might be negotiable yeah right so you may have a fourth one that i'm like well i don't really think that that's really that important Okay. Um, now, here's where I would say, to uh, Tucker Carlson's credit, if you go on his Twitter page, yeah, he actually prints the whole statement. Of course, he 
uh, conjures up this thing about like a, a liberal kind of assault against him or whatever mm-hmm. um, but at the end he mentions he prints the whole statement that he said and he said he actually mentions this uh, Twitter post five out of six of the thread mm-hmm. I'm talking Carlson's page um, but our leaders aren't even asking these questions oh no actually before that four out of six these are questions our leaders ought to be asking every day how does a nation of 325 million people hang together what do we all have in common as Americans? Why should we remain a country? Nothing is more important than answering this. But our leaders aren't even asking these questions, and they're, instead they're trying to silence anyone who raised them, and so on and so on. And then it gets in, into a little bit of a, a um, oppressed white man kind of feel. But, but, but the point that he brings up, mm-hmm. to his credit, he does ask this question, is what do we actually believe? Do we have to have these things in common? all the more reason why I'm disappointed with the the voices that are supposed to be answering to this and refuting this on the left, which is basically all they said is, no, he's wrong, he's wrong, he's wrong, he's wrong. Well, what's important, I think, in this, first of all, what I think are important, what I see as American values really transcend the borders of our nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are really, these are human values. Mm-hmm. Um and so the story so, goes. Hmm? So the story goes. Right. <laughs> so, but when I when I if I do a comparison, I don't think he and I have the same concept of what America is. Yeah. At all. Right. Because we come from two totally different uh, spaces, mm-hmm. and the fact that he has laid out, I, I got his a uh, Twitter feed up as well, and I see he's laid everything out. This is just emblematic of a uh, of the system itself. Right. This this push this points back to the to the uh, educational system that has produced people like Tucker uh, and has legitimized uh, discrimination and exclusion. They have legitimized. Um, uh, they have they have, they have legitimized being able to say that you know the whole American uh, manifest destiny. Yeah. Right. That that type of thinking that. Success is ours. Anybody that's in our that's in our way, you know, let's get let's get them out the way. Mm-hmm. Manifest destiny is even worse than that, actually. Well, yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. But 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 the point being, the fact that he can take time to to craft this 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 whole argument, write it out, and put it out where it looks thoughtful and it looks like you know, wow, maybe this stuff is really worthy of considering. Well, I look, you're simply fruit of the tree. You're fruit of the tree that. Uh, that that invented pseudosciences to to uh, support ideas of racial uh, inferi- inferiority based on skull sizes mm-hmm. um, and and hand sizes or whatever whatever kind of nonsense. Um, so I'm, I, I don't I don't I'm not really I'm not really impressed by a bunch. Of, I'm not I'm not impressed by any of that. As far as how they refuted him. Yeah, I'll agree with you. I think they could have gone a little bit deeper and shown some of the history. And I think it would have been good if they would have actually actually gone back to some of his past statements mm-hmm. on when he was talking about diversity. Because he did another um, another little segment. He was talking to a, a lady from Phoenix about illegal immigration. And it was the same thing, diversity and uh, and then painting immigrants, painting them as as a threat you know they're more likely to commit crimes and all this other kind of stuff so 
he speaks well uh and he can write out you know his mm-hmm. you know these 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 thoughts and and put them out there for people to think that they're really worthy of considering but it's it's the same muck that's been pushed out by plenty of people before him yeah you, you talked about the system the educational system that produced this kind of thinking mm-hmm and I acknowledge that the educational system was founded on certain um, racist tendencies and so on, this white uh, privilege type of a, a structure to further that and you know ensure that white men will be re- leading the country and so on. But I still would say even the people that would say the exact opposite, a lot of, I mean, we all come from the same type of educational system, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and even out of that system, we can find room to... Uh, differ and go into different ki- types of trajectories. I view this, I take your point, but I view, to me, when I see this phenomenon, I see it more as the phenomenon of what we talked about many, many times of the echo chamber. People wanting to hear stuff that validates their own biases, the, p- the opinions that they already hold. Yeah. And um, I, like I said, I don't know that much about. Tucker Carlson's past. I know, he, like you said, he was on MSNBC before, mm-hmm. and he seemed a little bit more. He's more milder, middle of the road. At yeah, that point. yeah, a little bit more centrist, conservative. Mm-hmm. He used to wear a bow tie or something, and I remember that, right? It was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I view this as a, on both sides, what we talked about the panel on CNN and this, as people just echoing a reinforcement of opinions, their own agenda, their own bias, the own opinions that they already hold. And mm-hmm. and it makes people feel good when somebody on TV says something that reinforces your, what you already believe, you yeah. know? Um, and I guess it goes back to the same thing that we talked about many, many times, the polarization of, uh, politically, the polarization of our country, severe polarization. Yeah. I would even... I would even go a little bit further and and say that these conversations should start with what are you afraid of losing, mm-hmm. right? What are you afraid of losing? Because anything that comes out of your mouth, <laughs> whatever argument that, that you push out, it's about you preserving some type of privilege that you feel that somebody else walking in the room is going to jeopardize. Yeah, We're talking about immigration uh, because... There are people who feel like, and really, I have to go back. I have to go back again and say that I'm thinking in terms of the corporate, um, uh, the voice of, uh, I don't say corporate. Yeah, I, th- I think the, the the big dollars, right? The big dollars that are that are out there that determine what stories are being pushed and who is behind the camera and. And, and what's on a teleprompter and all of that. What do they feel like they have to lose? Mm-hmm. What do they gain? Well, first of all, if there's dissension, it's almost like if you've ever seen, been on a playground, you know, after school and it's about to be a fight, uh, and and it's okay, well, um, step across this line, or I dare you to uh, mm-hmm. push this off their shoulder, right? It, I mean, it's really ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. But this is so amplified, and it's to the point where put out, we need. I almost feel like they're working in cahoots sometimes, the the so-called left and the right. Because if you're looking at a circle, the further left you go, eventually you're going to wind up, you know, on the right. And the mm-hmm. further right you go, you're going to wind up on the left. You know. So I I see sometimes I feel like they're really there's not this separation that we believe we're looking at, 
but it's an environment that's conducive to to these to a very few people making money, making a lot of money. And this there's a lot of income generated from these fears and these arguments that are made where people feel like they have something to lose and something to protect. Yeah, uh, I agree. I, th- I think there's just one more thing that yeah. I would mention mm-hmm. regarding this, um, and I'll close with this. Yeah. And one of the most dangerous things about this whole situation, about what he said, is it seems like we framed it, we, he was framing it in the context of uh, illegal immigration, right? Yeah. There's undocumented people that are living in our country, and he thinks there are a whole host of problems. And Okay. The prob- the most dangerous thing about that is instead of attacking uh, an issue that he believes is wrong, which yeah. is uh, people immigrating into the country through unofficial means, yeah. instead of addressing that head-on, he's trying to attack the very notion of addressing that through questioning the very notion of diversity itself. Which is arguably one of the <laughs> probably the most troubling thing to me. Yeah, is that okay? You're against illegal immigration. Okay, fine. That's your opinion, right? We can talk about that. But instead of talking directly about that, you want to attack and cast doubts on the whole notion of diversity itself, as if everyone in the country is only supposed to be, you know, one identical kind of group. That is so bizarre and uh, so dangerous. And like I mentioned earlier goes against the very purpose of the founding of this country if you look at why did we the founders of the country guarantee all this freedom freedom of speech freedom of expression freedom of religion if i mean the whole isn't doesn't that necessitate disagreement doesn't that necessitate diversity otherwise there's no point to having all of that so that was the most uh, disturbing angle to me yeah yeah well it won't be the last time that we hear something like this um you know what let's take a a break and when we come back let's explore the the systemic implications of that all right this is radio slime wcv we'll be right back foreclosure is hard on every member of the family but your family is not alone if you're struggling with your mortgage there is help to learn about the government's Making Home Affordable program, visit makinghomeaffordable.gov or call 1-888-995-HOPE to speak to a HUD-approved housing counselor. It's free of charge. Visit makinghomeaffordable.gov or call 1-888-995-HOPE today. Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, NeighborWorks America, and the Ad Council. Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident, I was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States. My mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Pam Muñoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. 
Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq al and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Remember to keep up with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at, iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or Google Play. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. Okay. So, Radio Islam family, we, we've been talking, uh, Ibrahim and I, we've been talking, um, uh, started out talking about T- Tucker Carlson and really the ideas of uh, the conversations around diversity, uh, how it's received uh, and how it's being attacked and echo chambers and, and all of that. Uh, we felt that it was important to talk about um, the the big view, right? So when our elected officials, particularly when it's our our president, right, our highest that's our highest elected office uh, in the land. So what comes out of that office? It is a it's a reminder. It's it can be a rebuke, uh, and it can be an affirmation. And sometimes it affirms. It can affirm troubling things. Uh, and in a country where we have such diversity, it is, it's critically important, my opinion. It's critically important that we appreciate that diversity and we, we get the best out of it. So one of the, one of the things that has been a big uh, lightning rod going from last year, Colin Kaepernick making the decision, uh, taking the stance to kneel for the national anthem, uh, before the uh, football games and then subsequently finding himself out of a job uh, and blackballed uh, President Trump he did what he you know did he does what he does he took to Twitter you know got his thumbs to moving and he's been a big critic what people may or may not really be aware of is the history behind uh, the national anthem and how it has been, integrated into uh, the NFL and we're not going to talk about other sports but I would I would gather to say that it probably is is also true for those sports as well but NFL uh, so I want to share something with you so I want to share this is an article from uh, Think Progress says how the NFL sold patriotism to the U.S. military for millions now uh, says President Donald Trump so mind mind you this is um this is from a little, little while ago, not that long ago. But it says President Donald Trump spent much of the weekend complaining to anyone who would listen about his disdain for the many, <clears throat> many NFL players protesting police brutality by taking a knee during the national anthem. Refusing to show respect for those shows of patriotism he claimed was abhorrent. If a player wants the privilege of making millions of dollars in the NFL, or other leagues, he or she should not be allowed to disrespect our great American flag or country and should stand for the national anthem, Trump tweeted on Saturday. If you're not fired, find something else to do. Well, he says, if you're not, you're fired. Find something else to do. All right, that's a great stance. He also added that sports fans should never condone players that do not stand proud for the national anthem or their country. Courageous patriots have fought and died for our great American flag. We must honor and respect it. Make America great again, he wrote. And I will quickly interject that he got five, was it five deferments? I think it was around five deferments. Yeah, five deferments. Uh, and was comically referred to, uh, it made me laugh, comically referred to by uh, Senator uh, Tammy, Tammy Duckworth uh, as Cadet Bonesburst. He, he, he got 
deferments because, yeah, he somehow had bone spurs, even though he played high school basketball with no problem. Yeah, so Cadet Bone Spurs. <laughs> Just like the best name ever. Anyway, as recently as 2015, the Department of Defense was doling out millions to the NFL for such things as military flyovers, flag unfurlings, emotional color guard ceremonies, enlistment campaigns, and, interestingly enough, national anthem performances. Additionally, according to Vice, the NFL's policy on players standing for the national anthem also changed in 2009 with athletes encouraged, in quotation marks, thereafter to participate. Prior to that, teams were not given any specific instructions on the matter. Some chose to remain in the locker room until after opening ceremonies were completed. It's unclear whether the policy change was implemented as a direct result of any defense department contracts. Now, listen to this. In 2015, Arizona Senators Jeff Flake and uh, the recently deceased John McCain revealed in a joint oversight report that nearly $5.4 million in taxpayer dollars had been paid out to 14 NFL teams between 2011 and 2015 to honor service members and put on elaborate patriotic salutes to the military. Overall, they reported these displays of paid patriotism were included within the $6.8 million that the Department of Defense had spent on sports marketing contracts since fiscal year 2012. Now, among the more wasteful expenditures, expenditures were a payment to the Atlanta Falcons, who have a National Guard member sing the national anthem, and a payment to the Minnesota Vikings for the opportunity to sponsor its military appreciation night. Overall, the, de- overall, the Defense Department spent at least $10.4 million on marketing and advertising contracts with professional sports teams across the board between 2012 and 2015. Although the report noted the department could not accurately account for the full number of contracts and payouts it had awarded. Man. Okay. Last little bit. It only reported 62%, that's 76 of 122, of its contracts and 70%, $7.3 million of its spending and its response to our inquiry, the senators wrote. Now, there's more. There's more. But I think it, it should it should be apparent if you did not know, if you're not aware of this relationship between the Department of Defense and our national pastimes. Right now, I know for some of you, baseball is the only national pastime. But for if if you're a football fan, uh, baseball, whatever, anytime you see the national anthem being done, anytime you see these huge flags going out, these military flyovers, these are these are things that they that this generation in particular. Now, the pre nine eleven uh, generation, that they see this is just a normal thing for them. Now, I remember the post nine eleven. I'm sorry, post nine eleven. Yes, <laughs> right, post nine eleven. Uh, I remember the only times that I really paid attention to the national anthem was the uh, was like the Super Bowl. Hmm. Right, but if they're just they they're putting money out on a regular basis, and then involving the players. And the players, as the players go, the fans go. Hmm. So there's a psychological. Um, uh, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. A lot of questions brother. to be asked. Yeah. Brother, <laughs> I mean, and, and and what does this do? What does this do to a population of people that that sees conformity 
uh, in this regard, what is it? What does it do when you have someone who who decides, no, I'm not going to, I'm not following the law. I'm not filling. I didn't get a check. Everybody else, right? The Falcons got a check. They got that check. Everybody else is is standing free. Mm. Uh, it has nothing to do with patriotism, right? You're not a better American. You're not a better human being because you showed up at a a sporting event. You haven't contributed anything. You you simply you spent an hour or two hours being entertained. Mm-hmm. But it's turned into a moral, you know, it's it's a moral occasion now. Yeah, there's so many questions that come to mind when I hear that. Yeah. Now, I would ask you: Do you think um, when players started kneeling during the national anthem, do you think this whole background? is important to know as to why they felt because it seems like what you're saying from what you read that um the nfl and the government kind of joined hands so to speak and were being presented as almost like this one entity does that factor into what was going through the players minds when they first started started uh, decided to kneel that the nfl kind of is basically being paid by the government I think whether they knew about the financial arrangement or not, they did recognize that all eyes were on them. Mm-hmm. I think that was the most important thing. And knowing that you have a captive audience, you know, thousands, millions of eyes, not, because not just the people in the stadium, but the folks that are sitting at home watching, are all watching. Mm-hmm. And so your actions, everything you do is scrutinized. So I think they simply took... Uh, they took advantage of that opportunity, that platform. Uh, you know, I would be surprised if they if they were not aware. You know, why why would they know that? Mm. You know, I mean, they might. You know, but I don't really think that had much to do with their response. I think it was more about seizing the moment. Is 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 all of this part of like a recruitment strategy oh, yeah. for the uh, the military? Yeah, because you know what? We never heard, and I know Vietnam was rough, right? My, my father served during that time. Um, and Vietnam was rough on a lot of soldiers who came back doing the bidding of our government. Um, and they came back with all of the issues that are uh, pressing and out front today, but they were ignored, right? So that post-traumatic stress disorder and all the, the trauma and stuff that we see for all of our service uh, men and women mm-hmm. that, you know, been over in Iraq and Afghanistan and, and any other theaters of, of war. Uh, and they come back with issues that we try to be more sensitive to. And we still haven't really shown the appropriate level of, um, of support, in my opinion. But back then it was totally different. And I think they realized that, you know, as, a, as an organization, right, they took an L. Right. They, they took a loss on that one. So being able to shape the public's opinion, influence the public's opinion about the military has has been front and center in their minds. And they do it in really strategic and subtle ways. And that's one of them, because these whole campaigns about honoring our our servicemen and women, I don't those didn't those were non-existent when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. I never remember uh, seeing the kind of awareness that we have now. It's like giving a teacher an apple and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. it was never about our, our servicemen and women. 
now that's that's a part of the culture you know this reminds me of uh over a decade ago, I think in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. there was this new league, right? Remember um, Vince McMahon, of the owner of WWE? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it was F or E. Yeah, he was WWE at first. at first, then it was WWE. I think it was WWE at the time, Yeah. in the early 2000s. So he comes out with this new league called the XFL, football league, and it's supposed to be kind of the rules are changed slightly to make it more tailored to being, you know, faster action. Uh, more action-packed type of a game or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the league failed after, like, a season, I think. But I remember I watched a few of the games. Me and my friends watched a few of the games. Mm-hmm. And every single uh, commercial break, and it was just being bombarded again and again with, like, ads, advertisements for the military. Uh, every single break, even, like, I think, like, between, even during the game, and, like, it was just, oh, I forgot which branch of the military it was, the Army or the Navy. Mm-hmm. Um but it was it was insane. He was just being bombarded with constant advertisements for the military. Yeah. And one of my friends, a couple of days later, he starts talking about, man, maybe I should join the military. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, this just stuck out to me that, like, I, I honestly started to think that this is just a, a recruitment ploy uh, from the military, this whole league, you know? Oh, yeah. it, it, it just seemed kind of, like, strung together. Now, of course, I have no proof of that. Mm-hmm. But it, it just seemed so strung together. And, like, every chance, every every time there was, like, a one-second, you know, interval or something, they throw in an ad for the military. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like such a weird uh, recruitment strategy thing. Yeah. You know what? That comment right there just make, it makes me think about one of our listeners sent in a book. And I actually have to find that book again. But it was about the the relationship or the influence that the Department of Defense wheels within Hollywood uh, and by extension you know not just movies television you know as well and if you think about how um, how our military is portrayed and this has nothing to do with because I think quite a few of us have you know I know I have service members of my family my wife is a veteran as well both grandfathers and you know but anyway th- the point being that there is a concerted effort to present this propaganda, this this false image of what it means, number one, to send people off to war and the things that that happen during war. Uh, war. Uh, and it, it sanitizes it, right? And it makes it, it's all, it's all like, it's like a movie trailer. Um, and it's not, it doesn't really tell you what it's really like. So they know when it's a football game on, you got young people, young men in particular, that are watching so that's what they want. They want to um, entice. They want those guys showing up and enlisting. Um, but there, there definitely is a connection, uh, and it's a real connection. It's verifiable between the Department of uh, Defense and because the, the senators, you know, Flake and um, McCain, you know, they they showed they they didn't show the receipts, but they they told us, look, this is how much money was spent during this during this time. And it should concern us. It it, it definitely should con, uh, concern us. And it takes nothing away from, and even me saying what I'm about to say right now is just, it is it is an affirmation of the culture that we're in right now. Because I'm saying that it doesn't take anything away from our appreciation, right? 
because you don't want to be labeled as, oh, you're anti-servicemen, you know. But it has nothing to do with that. Said, come to your own conclusion. And you take my ability to come to my own uh, conclusion away from me when you force these subliminal uh, messages uh, down my throat. So, all right, folks, uh, we have come to the end of our uh, our time. And you know what? I think this is probably a conversation we're going to have to pick back up, particularly the, rela- the this relationship between uh, Hollywood, the presence there, right? Because we, we need to walk with our eyes open. Uh, very important. You can't be informed. You can't make uh, good decisions, informed decisions, if you're not aware of where your information is coming from, how you're being influenced. All right. So we want to thank our engineers over at WCEV. Uh, thank you for making sure we come through loud and clear. I thank my uh, my partner, uh, my brother, and in, in, I almost say it in crime, but no, we're doing good things here. Uh, the impressive one, assistant producer, Ibrahim Bake. Uh, I'm your host. Uh, we've produced this show for you together, Tariq Alameen. And our executive producer, <clears throat> excuse me, our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. All right, folks, we will talk to you next time. I'm going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.